My name is Craig Pickett. I'm an executive recruiter. More than a decade ago, I started my practice for one purpose, to use my experience as a former military aviator, business jet sales executive, and P&L leader to help aviation and aerospace companies and their executives be fast, adaptable, and strategic. I do these podcasts to inspire and inform, but more importantly, they are a focused platform to help business leaders grow. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Welcome, uh, welcome back to the uh, Aerospace Executive Podcast. Um, hey, I'm thrilled to have uh, Brian McCann with me. Brian is out in uh, St. George, Utah, and he is the CEO of a small company called Airborne ECS, uh, the ECS standing for Environmental Control Systems. Um, Airborne ECS is owned by Ram Manufacturing, and Brian, before, be- before becoming the CEO of this company, was the COO of Ram, which is the parent. So, uh Airborne ECS was acquired in uh, August or May of 2019, Brian. Am I correct there? Yeah, May 2019, yeah. May 2019, and uh, so tell it. it you know, it's it's a cool story. Um, I know I, I know a little bit about it, but why don't you why don't you uh, tell us kind of what you what you're into here? Yeah, first, thank you so much for having me today. I I love telling the story, and I love the technology that we're that we're we're um, developing here. It's it's been a lot of fun, but. Yeah, so I was with Ram, and um, I was approached by the the former owner of Airborne about being a contract manufacturer for the company. Um, aerospace, um, you know, has this. Uh, there's there's a lot of emphasis on having the right certifications for manufacturing and stuff like that. And so, Ram had all that as a mature aerospace company, and Airborne was trying to get it. Um, and so there was a the feeling that if Ram manufactured the the, the systems, that it'd be beneficial to both companies. Um, so we looked into that. It wasn't right at the time. This is when the company first formed in 2016. And in 2018, uh, they approached us about investing. So I went to our board. Um, we got a, you know, approval on, a, on an investment. Um, and then from there, we, we made a play to acquire the majority share of the company. So that was in May of last year. Gotcha. So, so tell, you know, the, the Airborne ECS, you're making environmental control systems for a variety of, it's really a variety of systems ranging from thermal weapons to aircraft cabins. And how, you know, what's the diversity of the uh, of the product mix? So it, it really, um, you could put our systems, um, you could decouple our system and put it even in a car. I mean, it, it's just an expensive system. So it's really limited by extreme environments for one, but then also like where size and weight matter, it's perfect because it reduces size and weight so much and the efficiency, the power draw, it's really a good fit for aerospace applications. What's the proprietary, what's the proprietary benefit of the, of the system? What's different than, uh, what's different with airborne than another competing system? It's a good question. So part of the reason why the company was formed is, is a bunch of engineers recognized that environmental control really had not advanced uh, technologically since the 60s or 70s. So you still had these old um, clunky, heavy, loud compressors pushing oil. Um, Your heat exchangers were still plate thin. Um, They weren't smart systems. They didn't have any kind of uh, software interface, things like that. And so the idea was to kind of, to look at the system, to look at it, you know, it's just a vapor cycle system and say, how do we, bring that up to, to speed to, with today's technology. So are there different ways we could exchange heat? And so 
Um, for example, we've we've put together a microtube heat exchanger design where you basically take six to eight thousand syringe sized needles and weld them together and create a heat exchanger with it. Um, so you increase the surface area um, with these with these little needles, and you you really the, the cooling capacity is it goes exponentially depending on uh, exponentially the curve goes up exponentially depending on how much surface area you have. So it really provides you with a more efficient way to cool. Um, so that was the first piece of IP that we developed. And then um, from there, we also developed our own compressor, our own smart pump. Um, we have our own PDU. We have our own software interface and infrastructure, like I talked about. Um, so we really took all the five or six key aspects of the system and, and just did our own designs. And that's how the, the company kind of started. The, the output of that, what, what, what that ends up doing for you is our system does two to three times what a normal system does. So really it's, it's that much more, it produces that much more than any other system on the market. So size, weight, you know, a lot of benefits there, size, you know, you know two to three times more efficient. So, you know, Super. size, weight. So where, you know, who's, who's the biggest customers for it right now? Where do you, where do you really see it? So the, um, right, right now we're seeing a lot of action from the tier one defense companies. So like Raytheon, Northrop, Lockheed, companies like that. Um, and then also from the space companies, the commercial space companies are, are interested in it as well. Um, and then commercial aerospace, the aviation side, I think there's going to be some, some opportunity there too. It's just more competitive there. So, you, I mean, the military side, they're looking for any advantage they can get. This is, this gives them quite a bit of advantage. How much, uh, you know, how much weight are you talking about? If, you know, if you're pulling it out of a, you know, put it on a missile system or a, you know, something you, you, you're talking 10 pounds, 20 pounds, hundred pounds. What, uh, this is what's really cool. We, so one of our customers went out to the market and said, Hey, we need a, um, a environmental control system that is 11 inches in diameter and 18 inches long. Um, and basically the best system they got proposed to them was 18 inches in diameter and about 200 pounds. Um, we hit their 11 inch diameter, 18 inches long. And then our system weighs 120 pounds. So it was 80 pounds less than the next best system. So in aerospace, that's a lot of heads turning. Like, really? Like, how are you getting that much weight savings? Um, but it's just that much lighter. That's a big, that's a big bang. When you're starting to pull 80, 80 to 100 pounds out. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. Of a just, system. Just our compressor. I mean, our compressor weighs 20 to 30 pounds. There's some old compressors out there that weigh close to 80 pounds. So you could save 60 pounds just on the compressor, um, which is pretty crazy. What's, what's, you know, what's driving, is it new material? You know, you, you talked about, you know, kind of the needles. Is it just new design? What's the, is it design? Is it materials? Is it? It's, it's a good question. Um, it's, it's a little bit of, of all of that. And then also some modern technology. So when you're looking at, for example, um, some of these old systems, they, they just, they didn't have what we have today. And so when you, when you look at the way um, even data is collected, um, our system pushes data to the end user uh, so they, they can tell if there's a leak and it'll tell them where the leak is at. For example, traditionalists would just go look at the system and say, hey, where is it leaking oil? Because it's got to have, it has a leak somewhere and oil is going to be coming out where it's, wherever it's leaking. And so when you, when you have a, diff, a paradigm shift like that and you have manufacturing, uh, manufacturing processes that are, are just uh, you know, more efficient, more precision, like we have today, like laser welding, for example, um, you can just do things they couldn't do back then. So it, 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 when you combine all of it, I guess, the, the precision engineering, the materials, 
new technology, all that together, you get more efficient stuff. So you guys are pretty small, mm-hmm. you're a small company. How many employees? We're about 25 right now. Um, so we started out with six uh, when we moved the company here and uh, most of it's engineering. So I'd say 85% of it's engineering. So 25 person company and you're going to North. What's the, you know, what's the benefit? You know, obviously a lot of challenges. You're going to knock it on Raytheon's door and yeah. North of Lockheed's door and North of Grumman's door. And you're saying, Hey, we're just this small company, but we got this cool, really yeah. cool product. How's yeah. that been? How's that been received? Uh, about it's a, it's received initially probably about as, as uh, you'd expect it to be. <laughs> it's a, uh, <laughs> I, I think that when, when we first talk to these companies, we tell them, we give them numbers, right? We show them yeah. temperature control. We show them the kind of output that we, we can, we can, the heat that we can pull off of their, their stuff. They don't believe it. We've had a lot of, there's no way you can do that. Uh, we've had big companies tell us it's impossible to do what we're saying we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that we've actually, we've been sole sourced on several programs. And so we're starting to go into, um, we've been through some qualification. We're going into production and so now it's like in aerospace, it's all about pedigree, right? So once you start getting pedigree, then when they say that, it's like, yeah, well, we're on we're on an aircraft, and they're like, really? Who? Where? And it, depending on what it is, we can we can either tell them or we can't. But just the fact that we're flying or we're we're getting on an on aircraft that that means a lot. So it started it it's it's it starts to become okay the the chicken or the egg. Like, do you have pedigree or not? do we put you on plane or do you, do you want to, or do we have you come back to us when you are um, now it's like, well, you're, you're already on program. And so that says something about the system. So you, you, it's not like you go to Lockheed Martin though, and you knock on the door of Skunk Works and say, no. Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, we know somewhere out there, you got these cool things that you're probably developing maybe, yeah. but uh, how do you open that door? I mean, you know, it's uh, interesting to me because and it's a testament to our engineering um, and also what we're doing, I, I've really cold called people from those companies on LinkedIn, for example. Mm-hmm. I've had CEOs uh, call me and say, are you guys really doing that? Do you guys really have that kind of efficiency gain? And, and so it's, it's a game changer enough and it's, and it's got a, enough of a magnifying glass on it with you know hypersonics and electric and commercial mm-hmm. space, all this really high heat generating new technology that's come out. Right. Um, and they don't know how to deal with the thermal. It's just, it's, it's more heat than they've ever had to deal with. So it's, it's getting up to the executive level where these guys are aware that they have a thermal problem. Um, and so when we say, well, we can do, you know, two to three times more than a conventional system, it does turn some heads. How many BD guys do you have? I mean, do you have one BD person? Do you outsource? Are you doing it? I mean, it's, it's a big, it's a big world out there. We're kind of all doing it. Um, Last year, we really didn't do any kind of uh, proactive like bush beating. We didn't do anything that would really, we're trying to be strategic. So develop the business, um, you know, from a strategic perspective. But as far as going out and asking for work, we're not really doing that still. Um, And even then we won five programs last year with no, I mean, mean, these are massive programs. Um, And we won five of them last year and we have 10 or 12 more that were, that were in serious uh, negotiations on. So for a small company of 25 people, that's, that's a lot to take on without any kind of business development, but you do have to stay strategic. So most of your folks are engineers, obviously Uh who does your manufacturing? 
So we are, that's a good point. We, we're actually doing the integration, but we're not doing the manufacturing. So we've, we've decided um, again, strategically that we're going to find, um, we own all the papers, we own the IP, but we, we've gone to different companies and said, hey, manufacture this piece of it for us. Mm -hmm. Pretty much do that all over the country. Now, our parent company, RAM, does have full manufacturing capabilities. They've got everything from you know, metal processing to machine shop to all sorts of stuff. So we do tap into that as well. But for the most part, when we build a system, what we're trying to do is have everything delivered to us. And then we're doing the full integration with, uh, with the software and everything else. Gotcha. Now, with, uh, you know, so we talked about the challenges of being a small company that, hey, look, you're knocking on some doors and going, we got this thing, which I think is really cool. Like I'm the ultimate <laughs> small company here. Yeah. Um, What's the benefit? What do you find to be beneficial? I mean, that uh, yeah, obviously everybody's looking for some small business set asides and things like that. I got to think that that helps you in the DOD world, especially. Yeah. What uh, what do you think? You know, nimble. What do they What do they like about your smallness? So there's a couple of things. This is really interesting. Things that we found out. Um, you know, like we've been we've talked to um, some of these companies and they've said. For example, we were talking to one major defense company and they said, hey, we buy this environmental control system from a known known competitor of yours and, and we pay a million dollars a piece for this system and 50% of them fail. So we have to buy two for every one that we need. And the quantity is only like between 15 and 30 a year. So we don't really have the leverage to go out to market and get new, new technology or anything like that. These bigger companies that sort of swallow up everybody in, in aerospace, um, they they don't, you're right, absolutely right as far as being nimble. They don't have that. Their lead times are long. Their quality isn't great. They're not motivated by the same things we are. It's just a whole different ballgame, right? So like our lead time on a brand new system on a, uh, with technology that'll outperform anybody is 40 to 50 weeks. Their, their, their lead time is consistently over 100 weeks. So we can get it faster, cheaper, and give you better technology than they can. So there's a lot of things that we're crossing off there. Um, but it's, uh, those are the things that, that matter to our, to our customers. I think they look at us and they, they think we're small, but then they look at where we're at and who our, our parent company is. All of our systems are um, buoyed up by Ram. Mm -hmm. um, Ram's got a great reputation um, and is, is a fairly decent sized company. So that helps us out a lot as well. How are you finding, um, I, I got this, I, I assume, you know, look, you know, say which, say what you're comfortable about here. But I, I take it that gives you a little bit of pricing power too. When you say, Hey, we're, we're half the cost, small company, bigger, you know, small company, you know, you're like, Hey, look, half, you know, yeah, half, well, you know, you know, great quality, quicker, you know, we want the same, we want the same amount as the big guys. And, uh, you know, don't worry about, don't worry about the margin. That's not your problem. We're going to give you what you want. Yeah, it's it's funny because we've taken the we couldn't get anybody to really fund development up front. So the company did capital raises and stuff like that to try and get money to build some of this stuff initially. But you know, these big companies didn't want to pay for it. And there probably was a time where we would have taken their money and said, you guys can own the IP because we were struggling. But now it's like, well, we own we own everything and we're not gonna sell it. And um it does give you a little bit of power when you, when this has happened actually multiple times, when a big company sends you their designs for their system and says, Hey, we aren't even going anywhere else. Just design your system inside this space. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, that's happened to us a few times now 
Um, or, you know, when you find out that your customer won a major award and they won it because your system allowed them to do more with theirs and they've told you that. Without you guys, our system doesn't work. We couldn't find anything else on the market that would, um, that would manage heat loads the way your system does. And then they win. And so when they come back to you and try and negotiate, it's like, wait a minute, I can read about your award. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, you guys won several hundred million dollars to develop your system. Like, you know, so it's, it is kind of interesting to, to be in that, in that, in those shoes. It, those are, those are the fun conversations to have. Yeah. Um, I know. What about, you know, what about people? Yeah. You're, you're mostly engineering. You're out in St. George, mm-hmm. which is close to Salt Lake city, but not necessarily that close. Yeah. It's not a huge metropolitan area. Uh-huh. Where are you getting your folks? I mean, what's the challenge from an engineering standpoint? Where are you developing them? You, you know, young kids, you know, more gray hairs. What's uh, what's your workforce? Like? We're, we're getting a mix for sure, but we've been pretty, uh, so we want to be boundary pushing in everything that we do. Um, and I'll get more into that in a little bit, but our product pushes boundaries. Our culture pushes boundaries, the, the way that we hire engineers. So we decided that we, we weren't going to be, sticklers on whether or not they actually wanted to move to St. George, which for mechanical engineering is, is sort of abnormal, right? You, they, you, your employer wants you to put hands on the product that you're designing. And um, for the most part though, for us, if we go out into industry and we're like, Hey, this is a really you know amazing thermal engineer that we'd really like to hire. If we tell them you need to move to St. George, those guys can get jobs wherever they want to get jobs at. And so even a little bit more money isn't going to necessarily pull them in. So we've taken the the tactic that we've told them, hey, you guys can work from home. You don't need to, to move here. Most of them have never been here before. You might as well be telling them, come move to Kingman, Arizona. You know, they don't they don't know anything about it. They don't know um, what what it's like here. Now, when they start working for us, even if they're working from home, um, and they start to see where we live at, it's kind of an awesome place. I mean, yeah. there's it's beautiful. Um, it's super nice. It's close to a lot of stuff. Um, and so they end up liking it, but it, they wouldn't have got that exposure unless we would have done it that way. So I actually, I have probably seven or eight senior engineers that don't live here in town. They live all over the place from Hawaii to New Jersey. How are you recruiting? I mean, how, what's, you know, you know, you ha- what, what attracts the best thermal engineers to a small cutting edge company? Um, performance, performance does for sure. When, when you can show them something that is, is, you know, new and, and proven out, it's pretty attractive, but then also like the culture, um, you know, like I read a study a while ago that was on brand equity within these major companies, aerospace companies. And so it looked at Boeing, Lockheed, uh, Raytheon, and then SpaceX. And the first three companies had like a 30% score they just basically were saying, the engineers like what they're working on, but they have no loyalty to those companies. They'll they'll switch in a second if, if one of the other mm-hmm. ones comes around and offers them more. And that happens a ton in our industry. But at SpaceX, they found over 90% of the engineers had positive brand association with the company and wanted to be there and felt like the mission was a, was more than what, you know, more than a paycheck. And and so when you look at that, you think, well, how did they get there? Um, well, I've done work with those guys for a long time, with SpaceX for a long time. They just have they have a really uh, clear-cut futuristic vision, but they have this amazing culture and they go out and they find these engineers that are bought in, that own it. And so we looked at that and said, how do we have that where we're at? 
Um, I talked to our, our team and we basically made lists of people that we've worked with. All of us had, had experience in, in legacy aerospace. And so um, working at all these major companies, we had Boeing and Pratt and all these different engineers. And so we made lists of engineers that we've worked with that were just amazing engineers. And then we just went out and started contacting them. Um, and we've had a lot of success in hiring them. So you're sort of like, hey, look, we're going to go, you know, we, we know who we've worked with. We know who we like. We know we don't. What's how do you develop? You know, there's here's a question a lot of companies are asking me. When people are all remote and spread out, how do you develop that company culture? Um, and what does that company culture look like? It's 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 a good question. So um, I mentioned the seven or eight guys who aren't here. Um, the ones that are here, uh, we have a mix of of people who have, you know, been in industry for a long time. And then also some younger guys that, that just came out of school. Um, and we've really just tried to identify what our core values are and who we want to be as a company. And then right from the beginning, when we're interviewing weight, weight, cultural impact, not just intelligence, not just experience or resume, but, but also cultural impact. Will this person fit inside of our culture or will they cause an issue? And we have a few different ways of looking at that, but we talk about it regularly. And part of it is defining who you want to be as a company and then sort of like those core values and then making sure that you're true to those principles and not, you know, just getting pushed off of the, that path because of some, some other incentive that pops up. So you've got 25 engineers, 25 people there now, you said like probably 20 of them are engineers. Mm-hmm. What does turnover look like? Do you have to worry about lost, it very much? We haven't lost a single person. We just, we're, we're dialed in with, I mean, when you have a company this size now, now I've worked in situations where you've got lots of employees and it's almost impossible for the leadership to connect with everybody, mm-hmm. but where I'm at, you know, like over Christmas, I called every single person and had a, a meaningful conversation with them just to see where they're at. But I think just those relationships, everybody's sort of, everybody's bought in on where we want to go. And it's really positive. It's uplifting. Um, we're not, a, we don't micromanage at all. I tell them all the time, like, I don't care if you, if you're, if your, you know, kid is in a play, you probably should be there. You shouldn't be here. So I don't, I, I try not to put that day-to-day pressure on them so much as, but this is your, this area is your scope of ownership. And at the end of the day, these are the things that we want to have done. And whether you do that at night or during the day or from home, or it doesn't matter so much to me. I think that that, um, that trust and responsibility has just has been reciprocated pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting, it's an interesting point. I mean, you, you tell people, Hey, look, this is on you. If you can get it done in a day, if you can get it all done in a day and take 364 days off, nobody cares. You know, mm-hmm. You're meeting your expectations. Right. But if it takes you, you know, 365 days, it's on you to work 365 days or ask for help because you're, because you're overwhelmed. Exactly. And that's something a lot of companies miss. It's they, 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 they sort of, they know what they want, but they're not, they're not willing to push it down onto the person and get, you know, give them both the responsibility and the authority yeah. to manage their own life. Well, the, the thing that I thought I think is interesting is like working with the companies in LA, right? It's like they commoditize people. And so if, if somebody doesn't work out, they just go out onto the market and find somebody else who can backfill for them. And, and, for us being in Utah, that's one, not an option, but also two, it's a differentiator for us to say, hey, that's not who we are. We're not gonna treat you that way. Um, it's a mutual respect. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like I've had, we just did um, four systems at once 
And it was the first time we built multiple systems of that configuration at one time. Um, and we delivered those on time, but leading up to that, there was four or five weeks where it was, there's guys here till midnight. And I had somebody ask me, how do you get them to work overtime every day? I'm like, I've never asked them to work overtime once. It's just, I don't have to, that's their project. They know when it's due. Um, and, um, as soon as they were done, I said, I don't want to see you guys for two weeks. Go be with your yeah. wife and your kids. And, you know, yep. And that's the, that's an issue too. You guys are small. You know, a lot of companies go out and they acquire their small competitors because they want the people. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, we don't necessarily want the company. We don't necessarily want the, but we want, you, you see it over in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. you know, we need the engineers. And then what do they do? They come in and they screw up the cultures. They culture, they kept all the engineers there. And then they just paid a lot of money for something that turns yeah. out to not to be a, a lot of value. Which happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You, know, you, you see these companies like, hey, we, we, we want their tech talent. So we're going to go buy the whole company. And then you know, we're going to come in and we're going to make them work nine to five. And we're going to make them do all this stuff. And they got to come into the office and wear suits and ties and all the stuff that people hate. And then they leave because, you know, it's a small world for, you know, it's a you know, good tech is always in demand. So good yeah. engineers are always in demand. Where do you want to take it? Where do you want to take, uh, where's there, what's, what's next for airborne ECS? I mean, it sounds like you're really successful. You got some great business going on, some good contracts. Yeah. Stay there and kind of you know, drive the the process a little more. What's uh, where do you want to take the company? You want to grow? It's it? Sort of, it's sort of turned into like, like there's this really linear idea of growth where it's like success looks like to us is profitability. And, and obviously that's a component of it for sure. Um, but what we're finding is like, we really want to push a little bit on, on what's become traditional in this, in this market. And what I mean by that is, um, like I said before, our, I, I sort of hinted on this, our hit, hit on this, there, our, our product pushes boundaries. <clears throat> and so we want our company to do the same in every way. Um, so we're, we're actually changing our name. Um, we're gonna change it from Airborne ECS to Intergalactic which is, was six months of, of, of working with a brand agency to come up with that. But the, the point of it, the reason why we all love it is, is one, it's the name of a, a Beastie Boys song that we all grew up with. But two, it's, um, it pushes on things. There's no other company that I know of named Intergalactic. And so it sort of, it sort of slaps at first and we want it to. Um, yeah. But that, that aligns with the type of product we have, the type of engineering we have. Um, we're going to build a new building. So we actually purchased some property. We're going to start construction there the latter part of this year. And it's all going to be boundary pushing. So it's all going to be different. And the idea is to, to move inspiration and innovation back into aerospace and get away from the, the cost savings part of it is important. I'm not going to say it's not, but it's kind of driven the industry for the last several years and it's taken away some of the heart. No, I appreciate that because now for the rest of the day, my head is going to have that song in it. Yeah, yeah. So, so thanks. Yeah, so no, 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 appreciate no. appreciate that one. I promise. When we decided to do it, the first two or three weeks, that's all I listened to. So yeah, no, I hear you. But but then again, too, it probably represents you a little bit more because you know, you got airborne, you got space satellite systems, you've got. What about like you know? Hey, look, there's 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 heat issues and everywhere. I mean, you talk about data centers now. You know, you know, you have data centers and server farms and. Right. Are those guys coming to you as well, or is that a place where you want to go, or is that really not that necessarily that that crucial? It's more it could, like a, it could be. I mean, I I think you know somebody said to me the other day, um, why don't you guys like go talk to Tesla? It feels like they could really use your technology. 
yeah, they could, but nobody's going to buy a Model S that's 500 grand. You know, it's it's just yeah. it's um it's an expensive technology right now. It's suited for aerospace. Um, I had a meeting with a guy who owns a um, ice business, an ice plant, mm-hmm. uh, last week, and he's like, "This is perfect for me. It's green. It's efficient, but it's just it's got to be affordable." So. I think there's a lot of avenues for growth, um, but initially we're focusing on aviation and space and everything that's going on there. And then um, we'll see where it goes from there, but we do want to scale it up. And, um, you know, we don't need to make aerospace grade products for everything. We, we can we can also have some commercial spinoffs, so. What about the what about the commercial aviation space? You know, seven thirty sevens, A three twenties. Are those guys talking to you? I mean, pull a couple hundred pounds. Yeah. You got you got great you know, environmental control systems. Right. So, um, so yeah, we have talked to some of those guys and there is interest there. Um, again, they're the commercial world more than the military obviously is, is more focused on, you know, dollars. And so even when you go to them and say, Hey guys, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to save you this much weight. Just what does that alone do aggregate savings in your, your whole fleet of planes? You know, they just don't think like that. They want, dollar for dollar comparisons at purchase and uh, we haven't scaled it up yet to to meet some of that stuff we have had um some commercial companies though say we need to continue to look at this because this is gonna this would be game changing for us so some of them get it some of them don't i fully expect they will though what's the uh you've got your own ip it's proprietary what's the competitive landscape are there some people coming up and nipping at your heels what keeps you guys sharp yeah, there are. Um, we occasionally will see little pieces of things we've developed and and um, and look at it. We've we've been patenting anything we can or getting in, in patent pending any, anyway anything we can, and and then we're also making sure we're smart about that process so that we're not just patenting everything. But um, so some stuff we just keep under the hood. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it, right now. Um, I think there's enough barriers. The the walls, the moat. I guess the the old Warren Buffett moat is is big enough to where there's not competitors just running into aerospace. Um, it scares off a lot of, I mean, if you look at us, for example, we fast tracked um, getting on program and our company has been around for five years. So it's been five years of making no money and five years of dumping money into IP development. A lot of companies just don't want to deal with that. Um, mm-hmm. And like if I look at Ram, it took Ram legitimately 25 years to get pedigree and to get companies to just, and then once you're through those doors, it kind of snowballs, but you have to get there. Does it, did that, yeah, you talk about like, talk to a lot of private equity people and they talk about patient money. You know, how, how much, how much gray hair did that give you, you guys, uh, you know, dumping money into this thing, hoping that, Hey, we're going to be able oh, to see a return at the end. Yeah. Like, uh, so when we, when we bought the company, it was basically, a couple of weeks from bankruptcy, it was really struggling. Um, we were working with the, some of the customers and they really wanted a, a steady experienced hand to kind of back it. Mm-hmm. But I had to go to our board and get more money to bail it out. And we knew that it was going to take a lot to smooth things over with suppliers and things like that. Um, it just needed that. It needed that. And so at the same time, my, my wife was pregnant. She was nine months pregnant having a baby and um, it was sort of like you're putting your whole career, everything you built on the line to do this thing. Right. And so when I asked myself, honestly, will this work out? It was like, even if I put everything I everything I have into it, it's like a 50 percent shot. It doesn't work out. Yeah. But the thing that that really sold me on it were the engineers. I mean, when I talked to these guys, they were so bought in. I mean, some of them hadn't been paid in months. 
and they were like, I am a hundred percent committed to this and they wouldn't go anywhere else. And I was like, I've never seen that kind of commitment in this industry. And so that really attracted me to, to, to come on board with it. But it was, there were some gray hairs for sure. It was, it was, there were some sleepless nights for, for several months. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, it's a good friend of mine. He founded his own company and he's, he's really successful now. And when I sit at dinner with him over a napkin and he's like, this is either going to be a billion idea, billion dollar idea, or it's going to be a total bust. And by then he had a couple, <laughs> couple million dollars of his own money into it. And it's like, well, I hope it's, I hope it's a billion dollars. I mean, it's, it's yeah. interesting, but you know, that just tells you the lay, the, the lay of the land and what happens in business these days and the risk people take. Right. So. Right. You can only, I mean, you can, you can strategize and you can line, you know, line things up for yourself you know, as much as you want, but at some point it does come down to a little bit of luck. And then also performance is the ultimate litmus test. So it's, does your system perform or not? And that, that was really what I told the guys was we need to build the system. I, we need to see if it works. If everything's been theoretical or analytical up to that, to that point. And so when we built it, we invited the military to come in and watch it being tested and they were, and it passed it exactly how it was supposed to. That's when it was like, okay, like you can breathe a little bit because it's, it's actually a physical product, you know. That's awesome. So when does the official uh, name change occur? So we're going, we're going through an AS9100 audit um, next month. Um, and as soon as that's over, we're going to start the documentation uh, change. And then and then it'll take us probably a month or two from there. So I'm, I'm right now it's unofficially the end of March is when we're, we're aiming to have it. I done. got you. So why don't we do this? Why don't we leave it here and you come back in a couple of months after the, sure. uh, the name change? And you tell yeah. us how you're all doing, and, and and I want to hear more about the systems you're on, or you know what you can talk about, kind yeah, of success. I love, I love the small business stories. I mean, it's a, it's a huge industry. I love the small business stories. So congratulations on all the success so far. Thank you. Yeah, I, I would love to again. Thank you for having me on, and and um, let's plan on it. So uh, Brian McCann, CEO of Airborne ECS, soon to be Intergalactic, out in St. George, Utah. How do people find you? Uh, they can find me on social media. So it's just under Brian McCann. Um, also, my email address is Brian underscore McCann. So B-R-I-A-N underscore M-C-C-A-N-N at airborneecs.com, which is going to be my favorite thing to change. Our new uh, domain name is IG.space. And my new email address is Brian M at IG.space. So if you don't get me in the next couple of months, that's a good place to find me. Cool. I look forward to having you back on. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.